0: Welcome back, guys, to the third edition of the the InsideTheGators.com podcast. I am your host, Danny Villanueva, and I'm here with my two good friends, Senior beat writer for InsideTheGators.com, Landon Watnick, and the return of Tanner Denny. Tanner, welcome back.
1: Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? I'm a lot better than last week, that's for sure. So tell us what happened. We Uh, missed you here. Oh, God. I mean, PDQ completely wrecked me. Uh, Pretty damn queasy. Pretty (laughs) damn queasy is the right saying for it, so... Yeah, probably not gonna eat that for a long time. <laughs> but I'm I'm back, I'm good to go. So
0: Well, this is an important podcast. If you're a Gator fan who just watched the first half of the Tennessee game, you're happy and if nobody told them that what happened in the second half, you're good. But if you watch the whole game like us three, that we're the complete opposite. It's <laughs> it was not a very good day in Knoxville, but before we get into the individual things and go more in depth of in the game, let's talk about how we experienced it. Tanner, we'll start with you.
1: I mean, I was just over at a friend's house, and I was just watching the game with a bunch of my friends. And, you know, it took in the first half of that game, like, I was in complete shock because I did not expect that to happen. And then, you know, the second half just hit, hit me like a freight train, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, Tennessee, they impressed me because they just kept going, and it just I felt like Florida gave up, honestly, and I did not expect that out of the defense. Yeah, I mean, I had my story
2: pretty much written at halftime, and then, you know, midway to the end of the third quarter, you, you know, you had to kind of just pre- press backspace a lot and, and rewrite a bunch of things, so that was kind of my experience to the whole deal. Very surprising, honestly, considering how Ford they kind of looked in that first half, and then the second half, you know, just offense kind of really played it close to the vest and by the book, and really went conservative with the game plan, and then, the defense was out in the field a lot and really got gassed and was caught out of position missing assignments and Josh Dobbs played the game of his life so a-, a lot of factors but
0: yeah it was really a tale to have yeah my my experience was pretty unique uh I would say just like you guys mentioned the Gators go up seven I'll, I'm nervous but I'm like you know what? I'm confident it's gonna go up seven early Uh, Antonio Cowboys big catch. Austin Appleby's looking good. Then they go up 14-0. Then they go up 21-0. And I'm looking at this Gator defense because they made a stop. They were making stops by Mm -hmm. the end zone. It was just a fantastic first half. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have gone any better. I mean, I was pretty cautious. I was like, you know what? It's college football. We can all miss this thing. 21-0 is not safe, especially when you're in Knoxville. So, and then you have the game. You have the second half. Mm Mm-hmm. Tabor gets the pick, looking good. I'm looking. Dobbs is looking very bad right now. Gators defense still looking good. Mm-hmm. And then this is what happened. I want to apologize on my behalf to the Gator Nation. My girlfriend walked into my apartment while I was wa- watching it with my buddies. <laughs> Ever since, <laughs> bad from, from, yeah, bad Juju, bad mojo. <laughs> as soon as she stepped foot in my apartment, Gators just gave up. Way depending on your girlfriend. Yeah, they gave up 38. Exactly, exec- it's <laughs> 38 straight points, and. Well, they were well, up twenty-one to three, uh, five straight touchdowns. Yeah. yeah, five straight touchdowns. Everything the, the train came off the rails. It was extremely bad. But you know what? We got to look forward. Uh, but before we look forward, we should probably look at this Tennessee matchup and see what went wrong. You know, just you know, dissect this thing a little bit, Landon. What what went wrong? What what happened? Well, as I kind of mentioned, the offense really went conservative, and at the same time, too.
2: Florida just couldn't establish the run. I mean, Tennessee loaded the box more on passing downs, typically blitzed more. And, and Florida's offensive line this season, one trend I've kind of noticed is just they've struggled when they see somewhat unfamiliar looks, like, you know, when a team you know drops an extra guy in the box or has to go up against uh, unfamiliar blitz. And we really saw, you know, the offensive line kind of struggle on that end, and Florida couldn't really get a push up front for its running backs. And then from there, the play calling went kind of yeah. conservative, and Florida couldn't really get much going in play action with Austin Appleby, who thrived there in the first half with, you know, the deep ball and, you know, just he even broke off some runs too for, you know, some shorter games. But that, that, was, that was really main key what I saw. But Ford's approach just on that first offensive drive in the third quarter, I wasn't a fan of yeah. it. I mean, three straight rushes Same. to go out, and then Same. after that, that
0: he has to feel more confident. That had to be the most frustrating thing for a Gator fan is that mm-hmm. you have them where you want them. You have the chance at the kill shot. You can you can finish this. Mm-hmm. Tabor gets that interception. They score again, twenty eight zero. I think that's over. I think mentally the team
2: took their foot off the gas, but at the same time too, a lot of it was what I had mentioned before—just offense really playing a conservative, like they were off by more than they actually were, and then the defense having to come out so often. You know, after three and out, after three and out, what was it like four consecutive yeah. three and outs in the third quarter, and then the defense eventually got gassed. Jim McElwain made a perfect example. Obviously, Duke Dawson at nickelback was a guy who really struggled in the game, and you know gave up some big gains and uh, man coverage and whatnot. And McElwain mentioned Duke Dawson having to play upwards of 70 snaps in the game, yeah. and, and just him being tired just because the offense wasn't on the field as frequently as it should have been. So
0: I think that really applies to a lot of the members on the defense. A lot of the guys were really tired out there. It's, yeah. it's just what it comes down to. I think you can put a good portion of the blame on being gassed. But guys, they gave up five touchdowns in mm-hmm. yeah. six possessions the secondary really didn't have it's best go. performance um, you had Tabor slipping that's a yeah touchdown.
2: in the first half too Tennessee consistently bailed Ford out I mean it was uh, rocky drop instead of rocky top yeah. uh, so many uh, wide receivers and tight ends on, from that group were dropping passes that they should have caught and they made Ford's secondary a little good in that first half yeah. but in the second half Tennessee was you know, making those grabs and I mean
0: Ford's secondary got exploited you're, tell- you're telling me that Quincy Wilson and Tabor both get an interception, and mm-hmm. then a couple days after we're talking about, oh, my God, the secondary just got destroyed? What a weird game that was on Saturday.
1: You know, I think you have to credit Tennessee, though. I mean, Josh Dobbs, he played one hell of game a game. of his life. He played the game yeah. of his life. I mean, just himself, he had 399 yards total. He had 319 passing yeah. yards. He was 50% of completion rating had 80, uh, 80 yards rushing on the ground and 17 carries. So, I mean, this dude literally carried his team. And, I mean, you have to commend Tennessee for taking advantage of Florida's young offensive line, young and talented offensive line. But, I mean, the defense, they completely – they showed up and, I mean, they gave Florida hell in that second half. Which,
0: which is really interesting because in the first half, the offensive line didn't look too bad. You know, Austin Appleby had yeah. time in the pocket. He was throwing that deep ball. And then in the second half, Tennessee made adjustments, and Florida just didn't know what to do. Yeah, Florida really didn't make
2: adjustments. One call that was kind of common was just Florida running those screen plays, and Tennessee was swarming to the ball, swamping them up, and yeah, didn't really make the necessary adjustments in the second half. There.
1: I don't really understand why Doug uh, Nussmeier went conservative in that second half because I mean you saw Appleby throw the deep ball in yeah. the first half. I mean there was success there. I don't think they threw it
2: deep in the second half. You guys remember? Well, maybe there were some plays drawn up, but, I mean, Austin Appleby was forced out of the pocket yeah. and had to kind of just improvise on, on some of those attempts.
0: Man, what Florida would have done to have a Jake McGee around for that Tennessee game, because there was so many situations where a play-action, roll to the right, Austin Appleby hit, a, ten, uh, a tight end, I mean, Siante Lewis did not look good at all. He had you know, a couple drops. Yeah, I don't know what's up with him.
2: Yeah, he hasn't lived up to his expectations this season. He, I mean, he's a fluid athlete, and He's shown, you know, just in practices during the offseason that he could really, you know, be a pass catcher for this offense. But I I just haven't seen it yet. He's he's made some strides as a run blocker. Looked pretty good in the Kentucky game in that department. But, you know, just in the vertical passing game, he really hasn't done much. And Florida kind of needs that number two option at tight end. Goolsby's been reliable, but Seante Lewis really hasn't stepped up to the plate like we would expect.
1: And with a playmaker like Antonio Callaway out wide, I mean, he's got to touch the ball more than four Mm -hmm. times if Florida's going to have success. And then, I mean... Like we said, credit Tennessee for taking away Florida's passing game and, you know, stacking the box and just, you know, causing havoc. But, I mean, Callaway, four catches, 134 yards. I mean, he had an awesome first half. He did. He got banged up, too,
0: and he came back. The only bad thing I have to say about Callaway's special teams. What a disaster of a game that was. The first one, he let it go down to the two, I think. What was it, the first the one? one? Or the, two. the one or the two. And then the second one, he caught, he caught a fair catch at the one-yard line. Coach McElwain talked about it after. He said, you put your heel at the eight and you don't go back. And Callaway just did the opposite.
2: Yeah, it was just such a surprising error from a player who looked so good on punt returns last year, returned two for touchdowns in key games against LSU and Alabama. And just up to this point this season, he hasn't gotten the job done. And Florida, just overall in the return game, Kick returns, punt returns—they really haven't been able to find the guy who can consistently contribute and perform there. It's really been a revolving door at uh, kick returner. I mean, you got Michael P. Ryan now, kind of handling those roles, and it, that's kind of an interesting choice there. I, I don't know really how to feel about that, honestly. What do, what do you think, Tanner?
1: Well, I was going to ask you, like, do you think that because of the carousel that's packed there with all the rotation of all the guys returning, I mean, do you think that's affected Callaway? Uh, I don't know. It, it's just been kind of a surprising
2: deal. I mean, Florida would ideally like to have had Dre Massey back there, but I mean, right, you right. suffer a torn ACL yeah. in the opening kickoff of the season. I mean, that's got to be the worst way to start year, oh, <laughs> And yeah. uh, it's it's just awful on that end. But, um, yeah, Florida really hasn't found a guy who can consistently contribute on that end. and I, I think the best move is to kind of go with somebody else, yeah. like how they focus on you know just playing receiver because – I mean, punt return just hasn't gone as well for him this year
0: as it went last year. Yeah, before the Tennessee game, I was on team get Antonio Callaway off the special teams unit. Yeah. I mean, and I think this game against Tennessee proved it. You look at Callaway's punt return stats, his longest punt return of the season so far, Mm -hmm. and we're headed into week Week five five, right now. It's 17-yard seventeen yard return for Callaway. So, I mean, I think it's time to move on in that aspect.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, who do you think the guy should be then? Do you think there should be one guy? Or do you think there should
0: be two? I mean, I got that bias that Freddie Swain bias. So okay. you don't want to ask me that. I mean, I mean, you got a couple of young guys you could really try out. You,
2: you could use Swain. You could use Tyree Cleveland. He's been getting more involved in kicker, kickoff returns in practice. That's another guy we have to talk about. Um, Tyree Cleveland made an appearance. Yeah, he did. Um, and then Chris Thompson too. I mean, last game he could, didn't really play that much just because of a hamstring injury, but he could be utilized moving forward maybe as a kickoff returner. Kind of get him some opportunities there. But, uh, yeah, just going back to what you were saying about Tyree Cleveland, he yeah, he had that 36-yard catch, really opened some eyes there,
0: uh, got me a lot of retweets on the video I posted. And <laughs> How yeah. excited was Tyree after making that catch? He made that catch. He just popped straight back up in the end zone. Well, he didn't score the touchdown, but he ran to the end zone. Yeah, gator, gator chomping. chomping. Almost I mean flagged. <laughs> it almost did. I mean, Mack would have yeah. been really mad about that, but it was a cool moment. No, it, it was,
2: especially, you know, just – Rocky Road. that, you know, started off his Florida career. Uh, obviously, the arrest over the summer for being uh, involved in an incident involving BB guns on U.S. campus, and then two hamstring, the hamstring injuries too. that kept him out for a good portion of the fall. It, it just hasn't been the smoothest start for Cleveland. But he's he's finally, you know, getting back out there. He's showing growth, showing maturity. He just needs to keep absorbing the offensive playbook and really learn the schemes. And he could really carve out a niche in this rotation moving
0: forward. I could say I'm really being a contributor for Florida down the road. A guy who really struggled against Tennessee was Brandon Powell. One mm-hmm. catch for nine yards, got thrown out of the game for a ludicrous personal foul penalty, a flop. A soccer flop. Ludicrous is an understatement. I mean, no disrespect fair. to soccer because I know Tanner's a real big soccer fan. <laughs> no, but we can't, sure. we can't have flopping like that in college football. Like, that's, that's really ridiculous. No, that's
1: like Jamal Adams, uh, Andre DeBose type stuff <laughs> two years ago. I mean, the guy could have won an Oscar. Or a Grammy or whatever it is. It was, it was so like LeBron bad. in that one moment in the finals. It was so bad.
2: Brandon,
0: was Brandon Powell just trying to get this Tennessee guy off him. And then the Tennessee player is just spinning out of control right in front of the referee. Like, if I'm the referee, I don't blame the referee. I mean, he saw this guy just spinning out of control. He didn't see what Powell did, and he just throws a flag. But, I mean, you can't have that in the game. If I'm the SEC, I, I'll be making up some rule that if you flop like that, you're the one getting... Ejected, Like, yeah, that Ford's was so on, bad.
2: Yeah, Ford has been on the bad end of, you know, some of these disqualification penalties on personal Mar- foul calls.
1: Yeah, Martez, Martez, Martez Ivey, that
2: that was that was just a shoulder bump. And then Brandon Powell, you know, just extending his arm out. He didn't punch the guy. I guys. think it should be
1: reviewable. I think yeah. that that should be reviewable because that's just... It's
0: insane. usually the second guy. It's not yeah. the guy who instigated, but the guy who answers back is usually the one who gets the punishment.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but I guess just going back to the topic you were mentioning before just about Brandon Powell's role in the offense... First two games, I'm looking at the stats here. Caught 116 yards and two touchdowns on 11 catches in the past two games. Just 29 on four catches. See, Ford needs to start utilizing him a little more. And he needs to start getting, gaining a little more separation and getting open.
0: You know, good, good news about Brandon Powell that he will be available for the first half against Vanderbilt because mm-hmm. the SEC office said that he would not be disqualified for the first half, which would, you, would be the usual thing yeah. if you get hit with something like that. That is some good news guys. Defensive line, I mean they played, they played alright the first half. Sec, second half,
1: not so much. The defense just collapsed. I yeah. mean, I, I honestly yeah. felt like the it just looked like they gave up. And that's the first time I felt like I've seen this team really give up. I mean, especially like after having, you know, an awesome start to the season or not awesome, but an okay start to the season. I mean, they, they gave up. It was
0: so
3: random. It was. I so mean, I mean, you have to
2: give credit as well. At Tennessee's offensive line—they played a heck of a second half. Oh, Florida, yeah, Florida really couldn't get much pressure on Dobbs. I, I was looking at the stats; just no sacks and no quarterback hurries at all in that second half. They kept Dobbs clean in the pocket. He had all the time in the world, you know, that hit on some of those throws. So, I mean, you have, you have to look at it from the other side. But yeah, Florida's defense really lost intensity. And
0: what time. a hostile environment it was there in Tennessee. I mean. They were they were up twenty one eighteen, and I knew oh this is not going to go up well because they had all the momentum in the world. Like it just all fell apart at once, and as soon as they went down, uh, once they gave up that touchdown, once Tabor slipped, I knew oh this that's it the streak is over. Neyland no Stadium
1: way. is an awesome environment to be in. I was there two years ago for the ten to nine game, and I mean that is a very very raucous crowd. I mean they are they're no joke. So credit
0: to Tennessee and their fans. Yeah, and, and special teams. Eddie Pinero didn't get a chance at a field goal, only extra points. He went like, perfect. Four. Yeah, He's yeah. been a perfect four, uh, 14 of fourteen this year. He's done pretty well on you know, Pats. And for the first time, Johnny Townsend got some work in. <laughs> but yeah. it, it looked. Oh, it looked like shades of last year that second like half and the play calling run, 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 and nothing was happening, and we talked about it, Landon, in the the last podcast, Mm -hmm. the running game was going to be a huge indicator of who was going to win that game, and it wasn't the the first half, but then the
2: second half, you know, fell apart, and yeah, as I mentioned before, you know, play action just wasn't opened up, and Really limited what Florida wanted to do offensively, and it didn't really help that they didn't take a daring approach in the second half. Really played yeah. close to the best. A, st-
0: a statistic that shows how bad the running game was for Florida. The second leading rusher for the Gators on Saturday against Tennessee was Austin Appleby. Seventeen sorry, seven carries for twenty-four yards. The leading rusher, Jordan Scarlett, ten carries for forty-four yards and a yeah. touchdown. You look at Mark Thompson, eight carries for twenty er, for twenty yards. Jordan Cronkite. Uh, four four carries for 13 yards, and Lamichael P. Ryan, two carries, five yards. We saw how P. Ryan did against Kentucky. Looked very good and only gets two carries in Knoxville. Yeah. Why was that?
2: Well, a lot of it, too, is Florida's had him focus a little bit more on kickoff returner, but most of his games this year have come you know, against lesser competition. I mean, he, he still has room to grow. He's a very talented running back. He's a really promising future as a Gator, but I guess some of those elite SEC defenses. I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do what, you know, Scarlett or Cronkite could do, but... I mean, I mean the, the jury's still out. I'm, it's, I'm not saying that with 100% certainty,
0: but he, he still has some room to grow, in my opinion. Yeah. Tanner, you've been a little bit critical of Mark Thompson this season. Uh, he definitely did not impress many people against Tennessee. What do you think?
1: I mean, he still needs to step up. 8 carries for 20 yards against Tennessee, I mean... You should. Well, a guy of his size should be able to run through defenses, and he's not running behind his pads. He's not running with a lot of physicality, and he—I don't know—it's kind of moving like a finesse-style running back. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Mark Thompson needs to be that bruiser. He—he I mean, he could fall down for four or five yards if he just goes forward. But yeah. he's, I mean, he dances around a little too much. I'm on the Scarlet train. I think Scarlet needs to yeah. he needs to touch the yeah. ball way more. He
0: looked really good in that he's first been, half. He's
1: been very effective so far this season and I feel like we're not seeing not, as much of Scarlet as we should. Just in my
2: opinion moving forward, uh, I mean this is just me, but I, I think Florida once they start pointing against, you know, more of the difficult opponents on their schedule, they should really roll with Scarlet as the main back and use Conkrite as a change of pace back, maybe on third downs kinda as that pass catcher out of the backfield and, I think this will really stick mainly with those two guys. But when you, you play against some of the weaker opponents on the schedule, you can give Thompson and P. Ryan some extra carries. But obviously, Thompson's been the starter of the past three games, and we'll
0: have to see if Florida, you know, kind of sticks with that approach or kind of, you know, shakes it up moving forward. All right, we spoke about who did what. Let's talk about SEC East implications now. Florida's behind the eight ball now. Mm-hmm. We got We're gonna be rooting for anybody who's playing Tennessee now. To so ga- so the Gators can you know just try to come back a little bit when it comes to the SEC East. You look at Tennessee's schedule; they face ga- uh, Georgia this this week. They play Texas a T- Texas a And M the week after, and then they play they face Bama. Um, what do you guys think? Do You think the SEC East is a pipeline dream now, or is there still a good shot that the Gators make it to Atlanta? Ford still is a good shot, but this next month is really going to be a crucial
2: stretch. A lot of it is going to be dependent on just how good Tennessee looks. at they continue to gain momentum after the Florida win. So that, that can turn out to be a defining point in their season. But obviously, if they drop, you know, one or two games during that stretch, it you know just be off or not. So, but um, Florida, I mean, you can't really lose any more than one or two, yeah. two games down the stretch. Here. Or, or I'm not going to say necessarily they have to go undefeated. But if they lose two more games through the rest of the SEC stretch, it's going to be hard to really pull this off
1: you know, this could go either way for Tennessee, because, I mean, it's like you said, they have a gauntlet of the schedule with uh, jo- going to Georgia, they're at A&M, right? Yeah, I think they're at a and yeah. and then they're playing Bama. So, I mean, they could they could shock everybody win all three of those games, or they could easily lose all three of those games, depending on that team's psyche. And I think, after a Florida win, I think Tennessee's going to be a lot more loose mm-hmm. than what they have been in the past, and I feel Tennessee, I mean, obviously the clear favorite right now to win the East, and I mean, I think you kind of have to go with them at this point just until they slip up. If they slip up and then, then Florida can take care of their own business, then, I mean, it's it's wide open. It's going to be wide open until the last week of SEC play.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, I think that that Tennessee will lose to Bama and Texas a and But unlike your opinion, Landon, I think they have to run the table. I don't think they have any more room for, for error. And I know that's that's not a good thing. you, you got LSU. that. That can go either way. And then you got Arkansas on the road, which, I, which I'm which i fearing a little bit. But, yeah, it, it, short and simple. I think the games have to run the table if they want a chance at Atlanta this year. But enough of Tennessee. Let's talk about Vanderbilt. And before we talk about Vanderbilt, we brought in a special guest, Chris Lee of VandySports.com. Let's get into it. I want to Welcome in Chris Lee from VandySports.com. Chris, thanks for joining us. And, uh... How's it going?
3: Things are going well here. It's finally cooled off in Nashville, which has been a welcome sight. Chris, uh, tell me about the
0: the vibe over there in Nashville right now as they welcome in the Gators this weekend.
3: You know, it's been weird because Vanderbilt, honestly, has not played very well. It's a team that's 2-2, two and two, but it has gotten mm-hmm. outgained by 140 yards a game. And look, the schedule has been decent. There's not been any cupcakes in there. But there also have not been any ranked teams in there, at least until Florida comes to town this weekend. It's a team that is won on turnovers, which is exactly how it lost a year ago. And it's not always been ugly. I mean, the first quarter for Vanderbilt last week, it gained five yards of total offense. And so I was at the Western Kentucky game last week and just never really did it occur to me that Vanderbilt could win that game until the very end, and it did. So it's just been kind of one of those seasons where Vanderbilt is 2-2, two and two, but the Georgia Tech game was one of the worst games this program has seen in years. And the opener against South Carolina, the Gamecocks just aren't very good. That's a game Vanderbilt should have won probably by 7 or 10 points but didn't. So I think even with a team that's 2-2, two and two, and I know Florida could be ripe for the picking after last week, I don't know that there's a whole lot of confidence that – Vanderbilt has is, is caught Florida. I'm not going to say at a good time, but I don't know if there's a lot of confidence among a lot of people that Vanderbilt's going to pull an upset. You mentioned
0: that the Georgia Tech game was one of the worst games in the history of the program. Why
3: was that? They were awful at everything. I mean, Georgia Tech is a team that runs the ball really well, and it ran the ball really well against Vanderbilt that day. But Georgia Tech is not a team that you really fear throwing the ball. Tech had touchdown throws of 77 and 81, and one of those was just a short pass that Marcus Marshall took the distance. The other one was was thrown deep down the field. Vanderbilt offensively scored on its first drive, didn't get points the rest of the game. Georgia Tech is just a very mediocre team right now, and that effort, it, it almost looked like that team quit maybe even the fourth quarter. Tech eased up, and it could have been worse than it was. I mean, there just wasn't much good to say about that game other than Vanderbilt's first drive where Kyle Shermer took the team down the field. But after that, it it just was a rout. And, you know, look, this is Georgia Tech of 2016. It's not Georgia Tech of a few years ago where that team was winning nine and ten games. It just was a bad day all around. When an average college
0: football fan thinks of Vanderbilt, the number one player that comes up in their mind is Ralph Webb. We all know what Ralph Webb did against the Gators last year. We know he's a Gainesville high grad. Uh, we know that he likes to play against the Gators. How does he look this year compared to last year?
3: I think he's even better. Ralph has improved a little bit every year. I don't think he's the most gifted back in the conference, but certainly he works as hard as any of them. He's good about hitting his holes. You know, I remember writing about a year ago, he just didn't, have any breakaway speed and then he started breaking some longer ones florida saw that a year ago this kid just gives it his all on every play he is a leader he just got named team captain and he's really just become a fan favorite and it's been one of my favorite players to cover because on top of everything ralph is just exceptionally humble it's been a great story and i've been really happy to see that kid have some success and the quarterback for vandy kyle Shermer. Um, he
0: has 614 yards, five touch, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Um, we know he's the son of an NFL coach. Uh, what can you
3: tell us about him so far this season? It's been up and down. You start with the opening game, and he leads Vanderbilt on a long touchdown drive, and they decide to go with Wade Freeback for a couple of series. Well, Kyle never really got his confidence back or his rhythm back that game, and it carried over to the Middleton-C State game. When he started 0 for 7, but then he gets in rhythm. They get a couple of late touchdown drives in the first half, and he was 13 to 14 at one point. You know, the Georgia Tech game just got out of hand pretty quickly, and he ended up being replaced late in the game. Last week, they weren't doing very well early, weren't moving the ball at all, and they went to the hurry up offense late in the game. They get the ball back with the minute two, 75 yards to go and no timeouts and really hadn't moved the ball super well until the drive before that maybe. And Kyle just got in a rhythm. He leads him down the field. They score a touchdown on the last play of regulation and win it in overtime. And he just seems like a guy that when he gets in a rhythm and they go up tempo, he's able to really do some things. And I've seen it in practice too that, that maybe when they're just going at normal speed and they play tentative, he's not been very good at sometimes. I think a lot of times when, when Kyle just gets into rhythm, he's a pretty good quarterback. And that's the thing. If you're Vanderbilt, you've got to figure out how to do that.
1: You know, with having a defensive minded coach like Derek Mason, just talk a little bit about this Vanderbilt defense and uh, kind of the edge that Derek Mason, you know, just brings to this defense and give us kind of a couple of players who Florida should look out for. It's been very disappointing. This team,
3: This team was, I think in the top 25 in total defense a year ago and, Now you look at the last six games, dating back to last year, Vanderbilt has allowed, I think, 475 yards or more in all those games, and really it's not been pretty at times. Now the thing that it's done is it's forced some turnovers, which it did not do a year ago, and that's the reason Vanderbilt's been winning some of these games is the turnover margin. But a couple guys on that team I really like, Zach Cunningham, the inside linebacker. If you hold the 2017 NFL Draft right now, And presuming he goes pro, which we've all thought he was going to do before the season, that kid's a first-round pick. And Oren Burks beside him, the star linebacker, is a converted safety. And he was a linebacker in high school. And so this position fits him really well. He led the team with three picks as a safety a year ago. And Oren is just a very versatile defender. He can drop back in coverage. He can rush the passer. And just a really good kid on top of all that. Those two guys are really good. Nigel Bowden on the inside has been productive for them in the past. It hasn't happened as much this year. And Torrin McGaster, their cornerback, has shown flashes to doing some things, but he's had a rough year. There's talent on that team, but it just has not really shown the way it did last year and even Derek Mason's last game of twenty fourteen when he took over as the defensive coordinator. And really why they hadn't played better is is kind of a mystery. We all know
0: that Coach Derek Mason is a defensive minded coach but if you look on the other side of the football, um, the, their offense, they're 13th in the SEC in total offense. Um, Derrick Mason even said after their, their last game, uh, we're 2-2. Two and two, That's where we wanted to be. How much frustration is there right now in Nashville when it comes to the program offensively?
3: I think it's more on the defensive side because nobody thought the offense would be great. In fact, I'd say it's played about – the way that we thought it would. I would have thought maybe a few more passing yards this season, but I'm not really – the total output doesn't completely surprise me. Although, boy, you know, game one and game three, they weren't very good on that side of the ball. I think it's – the frustration a lot of times is with the play calling because it's been conservative. A lot of people think the team plays tight. They were, I think, the only team in the country heading into last week's game without a pass completion of 30 yards or more. No, they got one of those. They got a 66-yarder to Caleb Scott last week. But I think it just has been, honestly, a team that a lot of times just hadn't been that fun to watch on offensively. And the only thing worse than having a bad football team is being bad and boring at the same time. And, and there are flashes where they've, they've looked pretty decent at times, but there's also been times where, like I said, they go an entire quarter and a half without getting a first down or moving the ball at all. So it's just been kind of a frustration of of why it is that they look pretty competent sometimes and then just completely inept at others.
2: We actually discussed this during our Behind Enemy Lines series that you could find both on InsideTheGators.com and VandySports.com, but just what's the current injury report for Vanderbilt right now?
3: Pretty healthy. They've had Andrew Jelks out the whole year. He would have probably started at center or left tackle, so that's been expected. Nigel Bowden played last week an inside linebacker. Or excuse me, did not play. I think he's going to be back this week. You know, really, it's it's been backups and guys that have been nicked up here and there. But in terms of of top level guys and starters, Jay Woods is back. He missed the first game or two. He's depth at defensive tackle. He's their second teamer. Really, I think if you excuse Andrew Jelks from the picture because. He never played it down this season, didn't play last season. So I guess you can say nobody was expecting and counting on him, although they were counting on him maybe two months ago, heading into camp, and then it changed. But in terms of where they've been since day one going into the season, I think they're in about as good a shape in terms of health as anybody anywhere. And obviously, special teams is a topic
2: that sometimes gets a little overlooked. Just what would you kind of identify as the greatest weaknesses and uh, strengths on, you know, being these special teams?
3: You know, they devoted an entire offseason to getting better on special teams. They were dreadful there a year ago. And they hired Jeff Jenick, who's a special teams coach. They put a lot of time into it. They're better a little bit, but not by much. Tommy Openshaw in in the kicking game is just an average kicker, maybe a little below average. They've got some kids in the return game, Darius Sims being one, who are capable of breaking returns. And he did break one this year against Middle Tennessee State for about 50 or 60 yards. Their punt returners have just been okay, nothing to really be worried about. Sam Loy, their punter as a freshman, has been pretty good, but they had a punt blocked against MTSU in Week 2, and they had one partially blocked last week. And So you got to look at the coverage now and say that's a little suspect. So it's just been a group that they really wanted to improve there a lot this year, and they've improved some, but I don't think as much as they thought they might. Chris, um, Derek Mason,
0: he's 9-19 and in his career at Vanderbilt, and he's 2-15 and in the SEC.
3: Is he on the hot seat? I think he is. I think that this team was one with the schedule that probably should have won six games at least. I think the South Carolina loss was really damaging. I think that's a game they should have won when they didn't make that up against maybe Georgia Tech in a game most of us didn't think they'd win. You start getting behind the eight ball, and you look down the schedule, and Florida's a little better than I thought it might be. Auburn's better than I thought it might be. Kentucky, I mean, who knows? We thought Kentucky was dead in the water, but they showed out and beat South Carolina a week ago. Fans are really starting to get disgruntled, and it's not really that they're 2-2 two and two as much. It's just looking down the schedule and saying, a bowl's going to be tough, and a bowl's especially going to be tough if you just are are so stagnant in terms of yards offensively at times and unable to move the ball. And defensively, they've just been getting lit up, even though the the points don't always show it. Teams are moving the ball up and down the field. I think people look at that and say, this team should have been 3-1 and at this point. And if you look at the numbers that that are pretty predictive going forward, it hasn't given people a ton of hope that they're going to pull out a six-win season. All right, Chris, we
0: got one more question to wrap things up with you predictions Saturday afternoon 12 o'clock kickoff SEC network uh how do you think that the game's gonna play
3: out I've been awful at picks this year my pick was 31 13 Florida my reasoning is that I just think that those cornerbacks that Florida has are, are tough to throw on I know they might have had an off week a week ago Vanderbilt's pretty conservative I could see them getting a spot where they're down 10 or 13 to Florida and it's gonna be really hard to move the ball on them especially when they maybe know what's coming in the air They really don't excel in anything offensively. Ralph Webb's good in the run game, but Florida's run defense is good. And I see Antonio Callaway is a big difference maker. He's the kind of guy that really struggles to cover deep. I mean, there have been times this year that you've seen receivers two yards behind a defensive back. That is not good when you're playing a guy like that. I, I just don't think it's a good matchup for them. Now, could Florida show up and show up flat after what happened last week? Sure. I'm just not really good at predicting what teams show up. I just know I think if Florida is what I think it is and if Vanderbilt is what I think it is, I see the Gators winning and maybe about a little bit more than the number there.
0: Once again, we want to remind you that you can check out Chris Lee at bandysports.com. Chris, we want to thank you for joining us here on the Inside the Gators podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. You bet, guys. Well, that was a really good interview with Chris Lee of VandySports.com. Guys, I mean, he laid it all out on the table for us. Vandy, really struggling so far this year. Uh, Gators shouldn't have a problem come Saturday Saturday at noon over there in Nashville. Um, Landon, can you cover us? When it comes to injuries, what's going on with the Gator football team? Yeah, Florida's going to be without a key player for
2: actually the next couple of weeks. Joey Ivey had a procedure done on his thumb from an injury he suffered this past week, and he's going to miss the next four to five weeks, as McWane said on Wednesday. And now, Kerry Clark's going to have to play a bigger role at nose tackle. Florida's going to need some of its other backups that you know just in the interior to step up. CC Jefferson's going to need to play a bigger role, as does Taven Bryan and. Uh Jakai Polite is gonna you know need to play a bigger role in that defensive line rotation. And it's interesting now, obviously uh Antonius Clayton tweeted out the other day that his yeah. redshirt's gonna be pulled and he's likely to travel with the team this weekend, so maybe he, he ends up being a factor or you know, just maybe as a third down pass rushing specialist, but it'll be interesting to see. But Ford is gonna need to do some shifting around along his defensive line and need some of its guys to step up. And then at the quarterback position, obviously, Luke Del Rio went through practice Wednesday, was wearing that knee brace. Didn't really look too hampered with mobility. Was looking pretty good out there, but obviously questionable for the Saturday's game. And could end up being an emergency backup if Appleby goes down. But I think the likely track for him is Florida's really trying to set him up to be available for that LSU game. So that's the deal on Del Rio. Uh, Daniel McMillan is dealing with a neck trap injury, as McLean described it, but is likely to play. And then Quincy Wilson and Jordan Sherrod, who are both dealing with leg injuries, are going to play. So that's really
0: the main rundown right now and where the injuries stand. And we talked about Luke DeRio. He's maybe a week or two away. Mm-hmm. Austin Appleby, he didn't do so bad against Tennessee. He, yeah. he shined in some moments. What can you tell us about him? Yeah,
2: when the play calling wasn't too conservative and play action was running healthy, he was looking pretty good out there. He had a couple iron throws in the game, but for the most part it was really hitting his guys, and the deep ball was looking better than it had the rest of the season when Luke Del Rio was in there. Appleby has a cannon of an arm and was really hitting his guys. I mean, obviously, some big catches by Callaway and then Tyree Cleveland for the 36-yarder, so I was I was impressed with what I saw of Appleby. I really kind of want to see how he follows up against Vandy because up to this point, we've seen the good and we've seen the bad Austin Appleby, the bad coming from his days at Purdue where he had a history of being turnover prone and was having some four interception games at Vandy, but, or not at Vandy, excuse me, at uh, Purdue. But um, yeah,
0: I I, kind of just want to see where he stands moving forward. Yeah. Looking at Austin Appleby's official stat line, he went 23 for 39, 296 yards and three touchdowns. The one thing I would like to see when it comes to improvement from Austin Appleby is play action, throwing on the run. Mm -hmm. His one interception was a, a pretty bad throw. A terrible, yeah, running terrible, 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 on a, terrible it was first throw. down. First down, he's scrambling right and then just throws it right at the Tennessee Volunteer. Um, yeah, I would like to see some improvement when it comes to that aspect. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he throws for four touchdowns against, uh, against Vanderbilt. I mean, he threw for three against Tennessee, so I don't see why he shouldn't be able to throw four.
1: You know... Going back to the interception, I feel like the offensive line needs to do a better job of protecting Applebee as well. Because I mean, if Applebee goes down, I mean, I guess we could see Luke Del Rio. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously it's not 100. percent. So I mean, why
0: would you want to wait? Why would you? I wouldn't put Luke Del Rio in unless Austin Applebee is hurt and it's a really close game. I mean, if if Florida's up. A good amount and Austin Appleby gets hurt or gets nicked up I'll put in Trask or Felipe there's no point in putting Del Rio in for Vandy
1: exactly so I mean you're gonna have to rely on a freshman if Appleby goes down but I also want to see this offensive line move the pocket more and give Appleby more of a chance so he can throw on the run like you were saying all right
0: guys it's time for my favorite segment of the show predictions I've been doing pretty good so far with predictions on this podcast Landon I know you hate to spread I know you're not a fan of this segment Tanner, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. I give you like a B grade on this one. Nah. Of course, I give myself an A. But let's see how we do this week. I said that Florida's going to score 28 points in Knoxville, and they did just that. So, guys, what's your prediction for the
1: Vandy game? Well, you know, the one thing I'm really interested in seeing in this Florida team is how they bounce back after losing a game like Tennessee. I mean, that's it's kind of demoralizing. After you beat a team for 11 straight years, you kind of find yourself going back to the drawing boards to see what you can do to You know, keep the season alive. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, they have a pretty solid defense. You know, as Chris stated in the previous segment, you know, they're not living up to the height that they could be playing at. But I think that the game's going to start off really slow for Florida. I think Florida's going to eventually turn the tide, and I think they'll be able to create some opportunities in the second half. I'm going to take Florida 27-17 over Vanderbilt. Yeah,
2: I, I did this pick in our roundtable. It's going to run on our site pretty soon. But I picked Florida thirty Vanderbilt thirteen. I think Florida's just superior team in most phases as compared to Vanderbilt. I think the defensive backs are going to, you know, pick up as compared to you know just the last game. I think they're going to really take that h- how they played the hard. And I don't think you know, Vanderbilt's passing attack really instills that much fear in anybody. And then the defense, obviously, not having Joey Ivy kind of hurts when it comes to. Trying to defend what uh, Ralph Webb wants to do. But I think the unit overall will, will play better. And I mean, Florida's offense isn't going to go three and out as frequently as it did. I, I would be surprised. I, I mean, Vanderbilt Stadium's Stadium is not Nalen Stadium. They're not going to be shook like they were, or, or rattled, or gassed like they were the last game. So
1: the Gator fans will show up too. I mean, Nashville always has a great showing of Gator fans in their Gator club. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I, I don't think that Florida's really going to have much of a disadvantage of this game. Maybe a slow start, but I think eventually Florida's going to gain some steam and have a, a pretty considerable lead over the Commodores.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to disagree with you guys again. I mean, <laughs> I'm with Chris. This Vandy team in general is not very good. I don't think they'll be able to compete with Florida. I think last year's game, that 9-7 win with Austin Harden hitting a, a game-winning field goal as an outlier, Uh treon just couldn't move the ball the offense was in shambles that game i got florida winning 28-3 i think this defense is going to have a chip on the shoulder considering so, how many points they gave up against tennessee one touchdown and your prediction's busted i i, I <laughs> hey i'm willing to take that chance i have this much confidence in in this florida defense i think this coaching staff has been pretty has done a pretty good job at preaching to these guys. Hey, the season's not over. You guys yeah. have to go prove them, prove yourself. Because now everybody in the nation thinks you're you're overrated when it comes to defense. And I think Austin Appleby, like I said, is going to have that four touchdown game against Vandy. I don't think Vandy's going to have a shot. I think they lock down Ralph Webb, and uh, Gators can be happy with a nice W. Come noon. At so so you are calling a quarterback event.
2: controversy for LSU. No.
0: No, no. Nah, if, if Luke Del Rio is healthy, you would think that the Gator coaching staff goes with Luke Del Rio. Because okay, okay. considering how Appleby has struggled with the play action, I don't see Del Rio having to fear for his job but guys this was fun we had Tanner back we always enjoy him having, having him here uh, man. I think we're, we're going to lose uh, PDQ as a potential sponsor yeah we, we, uh, oh well <laughs> yeah I wish <laughs> I wish but no we, we, we've restricted uh, Tanner's eating habits now no, we, we've prohibited uh, only PDQ and yeah, only fruits and vegetables we need him healthy for the, for the podcast he's a crucial member of our team but guys thanks for listening uh, to this third edition of the Inside the Gators podcast. Guys, there's a lot of content, right? This is promotion, right? you self-promotion here. There's oh, yeah. a lot of content right now on InsideTheGators.com. Once again, my favorite article from Landon is Behind the Enemy Lines. You can see what Chris Lee has said, has to say. Landon, talk to him. Landon, tell us about that. Tell us about all the information we can get at InsideTheGators.com. Yeah, we have a ton of content right now, a ton of info. Um, obviously...
2: As Danny was mentioning, behind enemy lines with Chris Lee. I mean, that's a segment that we do each week with a different beat writer from um, each site. I mean, obviously, a lot of the times we keep it in House with Rivals, but when you got a team that you know maybe Rivals doesn't have a, you know, a site for, we'll hit up some of the other newspapers and get a, a beat writer to contribute. And yeah, it's been one of our more popular features, and we have a ton of other content from our site for, you know, just kind of previewing the to vandy matchup. And we, and we did it each week. So, yeah, check us out at InsideTheGamers.com. We've got a, a boatload of content for you guys.
1: And uh, make sure you guys uh, throw Chris Lee a follow for doing that segment for us, at Lee 70
2: Yeah, he'll have some updates
0: for the Vandy game as well. He's a great follow. So, yeah, definitely shoot him a follow. And not only are the articles good, but the forums right now are really good, really interesting. I mean, it was kind of off the rails after the loss of Tennessee because everything went haywire. But it's a lot of good people on that yeah. side and a lot of good Florida Gator football discussion.
2: Yeah, a lot of excellent insight. I mean, obviously fans get pretty emotional at their big loss like that, but a lot of you know level-headed fans out there, you know, posting some really good insight and mm-hmm. observations uh, and just really kind of you
0: know inciting that you know healthy discussion. So y- yeah, boards have been pretty excellent up to this point. Yeah, well, you can follow me at Danny underscore 361. You can follow Landon's expensive Twitter account (laughs) at Landon Watnick. And you can follow Tanner at T underscore Denny. T underscore Denny. Make sure to follow us. We'll be tweeting throughout the game, and we'll tweet everything when it comes to Florida Gator football. Guys, it was fun. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. We we forgot to mention that. We're on iTunes now. Yeah, I know. Big time. We've gone to the major leagues. We're like Tim Tebow, you know, our first at bat. We're just going to hit home runs in the instructional league. I don't know about that. I don't want to go one for six. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, no more nonsense. Thank you for listening to the the InsideTheGators.com Florida Gators podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.